0: What up, Rail Split Nash? We're going part two with Grant and Lincoln. Now,
1: now, now. Not five, not four, not two, just three. The Rail Splitter, axe in hand, looking out at a frontier of hope and possibility. Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes!
0: All right, this is Stangman hosting again, second week in a row. So, didn't get any terrible reviews. So, we'll give it another, dry, another try in the driver's seat here. So, I am joined, of course, by the great Canadian rail splitter herself, Mary. What's up?
1: Hey, rail splitters.
0: And then, of course, in presence and aura, um, JB's uh, there. Uh, not on the show. I this deck confused people. But, JB, hopefully, he's back on the show here soon. Uh, If not, we'll keep the seat um, warm for the time being. So, yeah. Any uh, major news in your life in the past week, Mary?
1: In the past week, nothing from my life. But, I mean, there were some Lincoln stories that came across when I uh, hit, you know, when Abraham Lincoln hit Google, you know. That's news a
0: top-notch research that we do on the show yep
1: that's how we roll here at the real splitter podcast uh I so thought
0: maybe you got an animal or a pet no dog no cat
1: oh i wish
0: you have any animals
1: no i don't oh man Yeah, my parents have two cats there's the diabetic cat nugget yeah and the up, uh, <laughs> the bitch missy <laughs>
0: We, we also had diabetic cat Wrigley, which I think we've talked about probably yeah. way too many times, as is on the show.
1: Yeah, little Nugget, he's like this gigantic, like 20-pound ginger cat, and I, I call him the tank, because that's how he's built. But he's actually a really gentle, sweet boy, and the uh, the 11-pound female cat, Missy, likes to beat him up.
0: Dude. Dude unacceptable no
1: but that's just i mean and i'm not trying to be sexist or anything but female cats like they get really like out of sorts at times and male cats are just i find them they're so laid back and just
0: i got a male cat and he could be a little douche no so i don't know if that's true
1: (laughs) well lincoln loved cats
0: no, Lincoln loved all animals. We, yep. we spent the whole episode on that. I believe, exactly.
1: So. Yeah, he did.
0: Um, yes. Yeah, so Mary's going to be carrying the show again this week. I was going to pick up slack, and then I got sick at the beginning of the week. So Mary did the top-notch <laughs> research for current events. What would you find? I know you threw something my way.
1: Okay, so the first one uh, was from the Washington Examiner. Ivanka Trump quotes Abraham Lincoln after Mueller report findings drop. So the first thing I thought was like is the quote actually real? Like from because there's so many Lincoln quotes out there that are they're fake. Yeah. And so she tweeted, "Truth is generally the best vindication against slander." Abraham Lincoln.
0: Is the quote real?
1: I don't know yet. Um I'm going to put it out to Real Split Nation for them Got to. It, yeah.
0: Give us feedback if you know yep. if it's fake.
1: Yep. Um, but yeah, I just, I thought that was really, I'm like, why do they keep pulling Lincoln into everything they do?
0: I don't know. I've just, I've, yeah. Yeah, the report came out, and then, although we haven't seen a report, Mm-hmm. but we've gotten, yeah, I, I yeah, I don't even know. I'm trying to debate, do I really want to go down this hole of my anger towards American politics or not. I know.
1: Um, it but, was...
0: uh, I don't know. The Trumps annoy me. Mm-hmm. I think everybody knows that.
1: <laughs> oh, we are willing um, to share Justin with you.
0: Well, Trudeau, though, he's got himself in some trouble. Though.
1: Oh, I, yeah, I know.
0: Is he it's... out of that, or is that still going on?
1: It's kind of died down a little bit, which I watched a political show about it a few weeks ago, they said that the one, um, the one analyst that I like to watch, she's from Quebec. And she said, this is going to die down in the next week. And sure enough, it did. Um, We're in, we are in an election year. So we'll see how that goes for him. I, I'm not quite ready to let him go yet. I know he's had his kind of like, there's been a bit of like, scandal here and there, but it's nothing compared to what's happened in the past <laughs> and what's, I'm not meaning to, like, put your country down, but what's happening south of us yeah. right now.
0: No, that's fair game.
1: You know, he's uh, he's what we've needed for quite a while in the country. So, I mean, I don't agree with what happened in the latest scandal, but it's just, it's, I'll have to see how it all unfolds before I make my final opinion on it.
0: I mean, to be honest, Ivanka's uh, tweet is just kind of a standard political move that gets played. You know, oh, yeah. Whenever you could try to tie in a famous, well-regarded politician. So it's definitely not the most egregious thing that they've done in regards to history yeah. and misinterpreting. So it could be a Lincoln quote. I'm not 100% sure myself. So yeah. if you know, please let us know. Um, but even if it is, you know, not the worst thing that they've done. And it's kind no. of just politics. But yeah. They definitely have been abusers of rewriting history and mm-hmm. cherry-picking history, which we've covered before, which has become very frustrating. Um, and they've done that and really have helped cloud uh, what is real and what isn't. Um, and they continue to do it, and I think they do it purposely to move their agenda. So oh, I'll keep it at that just so we don't get a bunch of angry tweets and <laughs> then um I guess I'll have to take the brunt of them this time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we do have good Lincoln news to report tonight. And that is uh, in Elmhurst. um, It is Elmhurst city Elmhurst history museum. Um, This Sunday at two o'clock, there's going to be a Lincoln versus Douglas debate happening. And the guy playing Lincoln is uh, he's a gentleman named George bus. He's, very nice man. I've met, I met him in Gettysburg. I got to see him deliver the Gettysburg address this past November and it was amazing. And he is debating with, I'm trying to find the guy. Yeah, this is the type of, (laughs) this type of research we do here. Um, Tim Connors is uh, Douglas and the two of them face off quite regularly as Lincoln and Douglas in these debates. And they're apparently quite good at it um i would love to go see them sometime but that is happening uh 2 p.m this sunday at the elmhurst history museum
0: yeah that's i'm not too far away from there um i might try to make it out no promises rail splitter nation i am way behind on pacing for my class which i was supposed to do this spring break and i have not gotten there um the good news is it sounds like they do it often. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: I definitely need to get out to one of these, um, if not this Sunday. So
1: Yeah, I think they, um, they usually do them around the anniversary of the debates as well. So mm-hmm. I think those start in like is it August? Um
0: And I think they do done one in Freeport, which is even mm-hmm. closer to me. And I don't I think uh Bus is from Freeport.
1: He so. is, yeah.
0: So Definitely, I, we need to make it out. Definitely me and Jeremy. And then, heck, maybe that's a road trip for you.
1: Yeah, I was like looking at how long it takes me to get to you guys. It's like seven hours, which is nothing for me to drive. So,
0: Yeah, I don't think that's bad either. No. Um, although it wouldn't be me driving. <laughs> maybe we go to Canada, though.
1: Hey, there you go. There's no Lincoln sites here, though.
0: I can get my passport, though, renewed.
1: Yeah, you can't get into the country without one.
0: Can't I just, like, cross? There's no wall in Canada. You can just apologize
1: for not having one, and we'll, we'll let you.
0: All right. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I man. don't have a
1: passport. <laughs> 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 anyway, those are our two uh, news stories tonight, which there's not much happening in the Lincoln world. But yeah, I one was, like no. at least one was positive. you know. So if you're in the area of Elmhurst, uh, try and get out that. That debate and uh, just go up and introduce yourself to um, Mr. George Bus because he's a very approachable nice gentleman and he yeah I've never
0: seen him, him perform um, but I hear he's outstanding so. oh
1: he like I met him as just when he was just George um, the Saturday I was in Gettysburg and I got to hang out with him for a few minutes and then the next day the Sunday like I walk in or no Sunday I met him and then the Monday was the dedication when he delivered the Gettysburg address. And I walked into the cemetery and I was like, there's Mr. Lincoln, you know? That's and awesome. yeah, it was, it was really awesome. The funniest part was when he came around and shook our hands. Cause we were sitting like in kind of the quote unquote, the VIP section and he gave us hand warmers. Cause it was a cold Lincoln.
0: day. <laughs> that's actually something Lincoln did. I believe that's historically. Accurate. I know it's
1: solely <laughs> historically accurate. We were, we were actually <laughs> laughing about that with him. But anyway, uh, time to get on to Grant.
0: Yeah, so last week we kind of went through his childhood, kind of his upbringing through West Point, kind of some of the, I don't know if we call them failures, but the mild setbacks that he had and kind of just how fate played its hand Uh, with the Civil War. He ends up taking command. We ran through Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson um, and then kind of followed him down to Mississippi to Vicksburg Mm -hmm. is kind of where we're at. So, um, and that's kind of where he really puts his name on the map. But I guess he did get his name out there for Henry Donaldson. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where the unconditional surrender comes from, but this is really maybe his greatest individual victory as far as the war goes. Um, In my personal opinion, from a, Military logistics stra- uh, standpoint, it was definitely more impactful than Gettysburg.
1: Mm, I so. I completely agree with that. Um, I think the only reason Gettysburg um, well, I shouldn't say the only reason. I mean, Gettysburg is is nearly as important, but the reason it gets so much more I think it's so much more well known is its vicinity to Washington. And at that time, with the way technology was, which is not the technology we have today, like news traveled a lot quicker. So they're going to hear about Gettysburg before they hear about Vicksburg.
0: No, yeah, and I agree. And I think if it went the Confederates way, I think Gettysburg, from a moral standpoint, would have been more demoralizing for the North.
1: So I agree. Yeah.
0: I, I do understand that. But Vicksburg, I mean, basically cuts the Confederacy in mm-hmm. half. They lose access to um, all that food and resources out in Texas, and um, as well as control of the Mississippi. So, yeah. I know you, Vicksburg, is not, Vicksburg's tough, I find. And I don't know what you think, because most battles that we talk about, Civil War, it's like two, three days. Mm -hmm. It plays out. Vicksburg was a much longer struggle. It was like part of siege. Um, There was many failed attempts. Um, So I'll kind of turn over the reins to you. Um, see where you want to pick up with this
1: okay so the first thing i want to say though is that it's fitting we the day we are recording march 28th is the anniversary of when lincoln grant sherman and admiral porter met on the river queen
0: that's pretty awesome yeah
1: so i thought that was pretty cool that we're recording so i just want to mention that right off in case i forgot to although i'm i think we'll mention it later in this episode again too but yeah just fitting that that anniversary is happening today as we're recording um, but yeah, Vicksburg is like this, it's a really complicated battle. And sometimes I wonder if that's why it's not, you know, if people kind of are like, oh, that's really a long time. Like it starts in late November of 1862. And July 4th, 1863, it finally ends. And it ends in a siege. And Lincoln said about Vicksburg that Vicksburg is the key and Grant knew this too. So he and Lincoln are on the exact same page with how important Vicksburg is. And I think that's why Grant put forth the effort he did. And no doubt it was challenging for him. Like he faces, faces many challenges in this camp- campaign, including a guy named McClernand and like just some other stuff that happens too. Um So basically, if you have the Mississippi, the Confederacy is split in two. It's just like we saw with Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson's, you know, they take the Cumberland and the Tennessee River with those forts. So the campaign for Vicksburg, as we said, it's a long one, it's complicated, and it starts in late 1862. But before we get to Vicksburg, there's something that happens during this campaign that is kind of, I don't want to say a dark mark on Grant's history, but it's not his shining moment. And that is General Order Number 11, which happens on December the 17th, 1862. So what was happening during this time, the military district that Grant controlled was Tennessee, Kentucky, and Mississippi. And there's a lot of illegal cotton trading going on. And it's really interfering. Um, People he knows are coming to him and being like, hey, can you let me through? Including his own father um, comes to him with a a cotton trader who happens to be to be Jewish. And so Grant issues a series of orders and it culminates with general order number 11 that basically um it orders the expulsion of all the Jewish peoples in his military district.
0: Yeah, and this is something that definitely it's definitely uh a scar in his record for sure. Mhm. Um And I think it's something he later in life regrets um, doing as well, Um, because there's actually a book out there, I forget the title, and I read it, uh, where it looks at this order and kind of, you know, at this claim, was Grant, you know, um, strongly anti-Semitic, and kind of the thesis of the book was, he definitely made a blunder here, but he regretted it, and then he tried to do outreach, you know, later in his life Mm -hmm. towards the Jewish community, um, you know, especially when he's in the White House and stuff. But yeah, it's definitely a scar in his record. I think uh Lincoln overturns it too, doesn't he?
1: He does. So what happens is like so this order catches the attention of the press and it gets a little bit of positive attention, but most of it is negative. And um one of the um there was a gentleman named Caesar J. Caskell, he's from uh Puduka, Kentucky. He's expelled. Um, from where he lives, and he sends a telegram to Lincoln stating that this is the grossest violation of the Constitution and our rights as good citizens under it. And he asks that Lincoln bring this to his immediate attention. He ends up meeting with Lincoln on January January the 3rd, 1863. And Lincoln goes to Halleck after this meeting and tells, Grant, like, tells Halleck, you need to tell Grant to rescind this order. And... Um, the orders were but it's explained to Grant that had he used the word peddler, it might have been okay. But because he used the word like you know Jewish peoples, like expelling an entire race, and there's Jewish men fighting in the Union Army, like that's like Lincoln couldn't have that at all. And and I mean rightly so. Like Lincoln stood his ground on this ish- issue, and um, as you said, Nick, it does come back to haunt him. Comes back to haunt him when he runs for president. And he manages manages to distance himself from it, um, stating, I have no prejudice against sector race, but want each individual to be judged by his own merit. And Grant, in that election, ends up taking the majority of the Jewish vote. And he, as we know, he wins the election. Um, he's also the first American president to attend, you know, to go to a synagogue and have a like, a, apparently there was a new synagogue that opened and he was there for the dedication. He stayed for the service there. And I think Grant was genuinely sorry for what he did. And like Lincoln, he made a mistake and he learned from it. And Lincoln made a few mistakes along the way in his career, too. You know, the one time that he was debating with that one guy and Lincoln made it personal and made the guy cry. Like Lincoln never did that again.
0: No, and I think it's important to look at this stuff because, you know, I don't I think it's very dangerous when you just blindly idolize people Mm -hmm. and look at that. I remember once I was playing around with getting a tattoo, I was like, Oh, maybe I should get Grant. And then I found about this order eleven, I was like, Oh yeah, I can't do that now. I mean, that's a pretty big blemish. I mean <laughs> I mean it's definitely a scar in his record. It should be it should be something that's talked mm-hmm. about. Um I do think that he regretted it later in life. That does not mean that I'm condoning his actions because I'm not at all. Um and yeah, it's really unfortunate. Um and it's just this is bad. I mean, this is something that we're seeing in our current politics now, with uh, anti, uh, you know, semantic remarks being made or just being used as a political tool um, for gain or for blaming. Yeah, it's just no room for that stuff. You know, especially when you think about the Civil War, what what, what the main issue mm-hmm. becomes, why it's being fought. You know, it's for equality. Um, and then it's good for Lincoln that he noticed that and corrected it. Um, and have that fixed. So yeah, yeah, it is definitely a scar in Grant's record. Um, and I definitely think it's something that it's important to address. So I'm glad that you brought it up.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. It's important to address stuff like this because yeah, you can't just go through and have like idolize somebody and not, and ignore their faults. Like, I mean, like Grant had his faults, Lincoln had his faults, you know, they, they all did. And, uh, it's important to look at them, and you know the other thing too is like it's wrong what they did, but they they I think they learned from it, and that's the thing to take away to see how they grew as a person from it as well.
0: No, yeah, that's a good point, and then that's probably a sign of a good leader a lot of times mm-hmm. when they learn their mistakes. So yeah, um, but yeah, definitely not a good moment in Grant's um Civil War. war record.
1: No. And that happens in the middle of the Vicksburg campaign, which probably like adds to a stress. And the other thing about Vicksburg too, is Grant was being really secretive about what he wanted to do. And that was not helpful for him either. And he says in his memoirs, Because I would not divulge my ultimate plans to visitors, they pronounced me idle, incompetent, and unfit to command men in an emergency and clamored for my removal. And, you know, this, like when I read that, I thought, geez, that sounds like a tabloid, like, and these men were celebrities, and they probably were in the newspapers, like back then, like celebrities are today. And they're like, oh, he's doing this. Oh, he's drinking because he's not moving his men forward, you know. Um, And this had happened to him before. And he, when I read in his memoirs, he's writing it like he's almost shrugging it off. Like, yeah, this is what happened, you know.
0: Yeah. I kind of read it as I thought a lot about him like as a coach. He had a game plan. Mm -hmm. This is his memoirs when he's talking about his strategies and stuff. And then he acknowledges some of his game plans didn't go right. But here's why I have the game plan. Yeah, is how the memoirs came across to me a lot. And then I don't know if he was doing that because he wanted to clear the record. If he just felt like he should explain his side or if he was bitter. I'm not quite sure what the motive is there. I'm still undecided on that after reading it all. But, yeah, I, it definitely felt like a coach. Um, kind of, here's what we were planning or hoping to get out of this. And I think he's pretty – he does a nice job of that during Vicksburg, talking about all the different mm-hmm. scenarios and yeah. what he was hoping. And sometimes he acknowledges, you know, I I didn't think it would maybe succeed, but why not try it, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it was worth doing. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought a lot about that when I was reading it.
1: Yeah, and he um, he also talks about being superstitious um, and then his views on obtaining command via political influence or application, which I thought was like, during like, the Vicksburg, um, which is the part of the memoirs I read, like, McClernand, this political general, he's clearly a thorn in Grant's Grant side.
0: Yeah, I mean, McClernand's kind of one of your stereotypical political generals of the civil war yeah um he was a democrat he knew lincoln from back in the springfield days um he must have had poll in the party lincoln had to put democrats in some of these positions mm-hmm. he probably liked them um which mean grant had to suffer with them
1: <laughs> yeah but mcclernand gets relieved of his command on june 18th 1863 after publishing an order without permission
0: yeah and then, yeah, Lincoln, I don't think, say, well, he's shown he's just not a blind. He doesn't just give complete trust to his friends and let them do whatever. Yeah. So if he has to act, he will. It might take him a while to get there. but. Um, and, and you see that with some of the appointees you made in this cabinet and um, the handling of this situation, too. Yeah, but McLaren... I'd like to know more about him, to be honest. But mm. yeah, he just seems like a douche.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we could do, I think we should do, like you and I talked about in the uh, the Real Splitter chat, like doing a whole episode on Lincoln and political generals.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's one on McLaren a whole episode. Halleck, for sure, a whole oh, episode. Sickles
1: is a three-ring circus unto himself.
0: <laughs> we need, like, a Sickles uh, historian. I feel like that would be good. yeah. But, uh, yeah, you're right. We should do more general stuff. Yeah.
1: Um, so then Grant, he assumes overall command on January 29th, 1860. No, January 18. Yeah, 1863. And um, Champion Hill on May 16th is when Pemberton's forces retreat into Vicksburg. And then there's like a seven-week siege.
0: Yep. And then I think really the difference maker is because he was trying to get his forces united with Johnston. Yep um but then the battle of jackson mm-hmm. when sherman your boy sherman yep. goes there and he screws everything up and that mm-hmm. was pretty much the end of it
1: yeah he does and there's like the siege is uh, uh jeff Shara wrote a book about it like the whole it's in his uh western theater um there's four books in the series mm-hmm. and i can't remember what the one about vicksburg is called now but it's really good but just like some of the stuff that they were Like, they had to live in the sides of hills, and they were, like, eating squirrels and dogs and stuff. And it was just, it was, it was, like, you know, both sides, it was horrible to read about, like, just how this siege was so long and so drawn out.
0: Well, they were Um, using, like, wallpaper for the newspaper. Yep. And then, I guess, Midway Village, where Ronald White spoke here in Rockford, they Mm -hmm. actually have a piece of the newspaper On the wallpaper print, they actually displayed it when he was here. It was pretty cool. That's really neat.
1: Um, But Vicksburg finally surrenders on July the fourth, eighteen sixty-three. So, very important date. Also, the day after that, uh, Meade won Gettysburg. And I'm saying Meade won Gettysburg because he did win it. Um,
0: You mean Lee won Gettysburg?
1: (laughs) Lee, Lee, no (laughs) Meade.
0: Pleased MVP. Good job sending Pickett's boys, you idiot. That's <laughs> yeah. right, generally.
1: Lee. Uh, poor Pickett.
0: <laughs> You're a one seed who gets upset in the yep. second round.
1: Yeah. Um, it's interesting to note that um, throughout Vicksburg, uh, Grant remarks in his memoirs, I had never met Mr. Lincoln, but his support was constant. And I think that's really telling of their relationship.
0: Yeah, I think – He had to like Grant. I mean, Grant's the only Mm -hmm. one who just kind of kept looking forward. Yep. To go with my March Madness analogy, since I just got done watching the basketball game, um, it's kind of like Grant is like, they come down on offense, they miss the shot, doesn't go well, or turn it over. But dang it, he just clamps down on defense and just looks forward to the next possession. Yep. And then that's just kind of Grant's attitude and all this stuff. All right, I failed. What can I do forward? What can I learn from this? How can I fix this? and it's just constant focus on the future and not dwelling on his mistakes was a huge thing for him to be able to...
1: Com- you know, compartmentalize. And,
0: like, even with, like, the loss of life and still be able to move on and go forward, I mean, it was really remarkable, so... Yeah, and, that, and he's the one general that's doing what Lincoln wants.
1: Exactly. He And he's got generals under him that are doing the same thing, like, Sherman's doing the same thing. He's listening to Grant and he's going forward because the one thing Sherman doesn't want is what Grant has, which is complete command over everybody. Sherman will just be like, you want me to go here? Okay. I will get there. And that's a huge difference between the Eastern theater and the Western theater. I think is you know, the attitude of who was in command, like, I mean, Meade was an amazing, like, I still think Meade was amazing in his own right, but the way Grant goes forward and just like, is like, he just kind of plows through and, um, like the, the letter that Lincoln writes to Grant after the victory at Vicksburg, um, Lincoln said, I do not remember that you and I ever met personally. I write that this now is a grateful acknowledgement for the almost inestimable service you have done for the country. And Lincoln also in this letter acknowledges that he feared Grant's plan would not, would not work, but he closes the letter with, I feared it was a mistake. I now wish to make personal acknowledgement that you were right and I was wrong.
0: Yeah. And then I think that just shows the faith that he had in him. Yeah. And it's got to be from that moment forward where his trust had it. He's the first general not to let him down.
1: Yeah. And, and this is like the exact opposite to the letter that he wrote Meade, which he never, he never sent to Meade, But it was basically, a, I'm not angry, George. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. That, and but Lincoln didn't send that letter because he he put himself in Meade's shoes and he recognized the fact that Meade had a very broken army the Potomac and there was no way that he could have pursued Lee at all with you know Reynolds is dead Hancock's wounded Gibbon's wounded Sickles is wounded not that I don't know how much Sickles was contributing <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a very different, I think Lincoln realized that what happened in Vicksburg was very different than what happened in Gettysburg. Um, But that what Grant achieved was just amazing for the union. And after that, Lincoln said like the father of waters flows on Vex to the sea. We now have the Mississippi, which is very important for the union because the Confederacy is now severed in two.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with everything you're saying. And then the best part about it too is Grant's always looking for. I mean, because Grant wanted to be take initiative after that, it doesn't mm-hmm. end up happening. But he wanted to take initiative. Yep. Whereas you see a lot of the other generals, especially out in the east, a victory would happen. Then it's like ah, oh, a pause, rest, collect. Yeah. Ourselves. What do I do?
1: What do I do now?
0: instead of keeping the pressure on mm-hmm. and then Sherman and Grant both had the same philosophy or the same vision of how this war should be fought. Yep. Yeah. And it coincided with Lincoln. I don't know if Lincoln thought it should be fought that way. I think it was more of a political necessity yeah. that he needed it fought that way for political reasons. Um, but yeah, Grant and Sherman, he, I think this is the point. I think he's starting to realize these are my guys. Yeah. They're going to get this done.
1: Yeah, and I think he, and I mean, Grant makes a remark around Vicksburg. He's, he said something like, I didn't realize that at the time, but we were foraging off the land and I didn't realize how much that was going to work. Like, he almost foreshadows what Sherman is going to do in Atlanta and what uh, Sheridan is going to do in the Shenandoah Valley.
0: Yeah, no, I thought that too. You could see that whole march to the sea developing in his autobiography. yeah on how he's starting to realize and really it's Sherman that takes a leap of faith in it all. Yeah. But yeah, you start to see how that starts to form. Yeah. This is what we need to do.
1: Yeah. And then at the, right after Vicksburg Stanton, um, he does suggest that Grant come back and assume command of the army, army of the Potomac. But Grant says no stating that he knew the resources and the geography of the West much better. And he didn't want to upset the chain of command in the East. Um, but Grant does get you know, he does go to Chattanooga um after Chickamauga, which was a Union defeat. And he goes there because the Union is under siege, like they're surrounded. I mean, I say this like I mean Chattanooga, like you've got a Confederate commander, Bragg, who in his past um has managed to asshole. Yeah, and he managed to argue with himself.
0: Yeah.
1: At one point he was arguing with himself. And somebody called like said, "Bragg, you've managed to argue with everybody including yourself and you have Rosecrans on the Union side." Who Lincoln said was confused and stunned like a duck hit on the head. <laughs> so they send Grant in and by November 25th, 1863, they've managed to Take back like they've already got Chattanooga, but they take Missionary Ridge, which is where uh, General Claiborne has been camped out on. And Hooker takes Lookout Mountain, and um, it was actually General Thomas who had to take Missionary Ridge because Sherman failed to take it. That was one battle (laughs) that he lost, Um, and the victory. (laughs) And who would
0: ever thought Thompson would get an offensive victory over Sherman as well? I know. <laughs> Thomas liked to sit on his ass.
1: Exactly. But I think Grant was like, go, cause Sherman made a huge error. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the victory gives the union control over Tennessee as well as leads the way to securing Georgia. And when I was at um when I was in Chattanooga last year, I was out of all things a winery. Surprise, surprise for the real splitters who know me well enough. Um and I was talking to um she say like the guy that was serving us the samples and stuff and I was telling him he was from, he happened to be from Ohio and he said, Who's your favorite general? And I said Sherman. And he was like, Oh that's cool, and he's like, the march started here. And that's yeah. where they consider and the winery's located actually in Ringgold, Georgia. And that's where um they consider the march to have started. So that's where the march to the sea started. And it's also after this victory that Grant is given an enormous thoroughbred horse named Cincinnati, which will become one of, his, one of his famous horses, or his favorite horses. And Cincinnati will make an appearance again in a little while.
0: Cincinnati's a stud.
1: Actually, he was the son of the fastest thoroughbred in the Whatever, U.S. he was a stud, huh? Yep. <laughs> his father's name was lexington and he was the fastest thoroughbred in the u.s at the time oh shit
0: um yeah i mean grant when you start looking now at his record you got fort henry fort donaldson shiloh vicksburg yeah. chattanooga i mean that's quite the resume especially mm-hmm. on the union side at this point that's pretty much the only one with a resume
1: yeah Exactly. And it's at that point. um, So March 2nd, 1864, Grant is promoted to lieutenant general. And this means he has command of all the Union armies, and he only has to answer to Lincoln. And that shows a huge change in how not only Lincoln, but the administration is thinking. Um, Because it wasn't that long before it was in June of 1863, that General John Reynolds went to meet with Lincoln and was offered command of the army that Potomac and reynolds said will you give me complete control and not you know mess around and lincoln said no i i won't and reynolds said then i don't want it and now lincoln is finally you know giving basically nearly complete control to grant and um like, I think that also just shows the relate the different relationship that Lincoln and Grant had, that there's this trust, there's friendship, and there's, like, kind of this mutual, it's probably an unspoken understanding in each other. And I think that shows how it's, a friendship has formed between the two of them before they even meet. And I think that's the basis of why their relationship was the way it was.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, the trust that that shows... And bringing up the fact that he wasn't going to give that to Reynolds really shows that too. Just a difference of thought here. And then at the same time, Grant's not one who's out there like McClellan had all that extra bullshit going on. Um, you know, he would send stuff back to Lincoln, you know, the correspondence, but Grant is really a minimalist when it came to correspondence Mm -hmm. and stuff. He's not going to send this bullshit stuff there. He's not going to doubt himself, which he had some of the other generals doing. Um, He's a guy who believed in his vision and his abilities. Um, wasn't gonna, you know, bullshit around. Lincoln, as we talked about this, you know, I, I like to think, being that I'm a Midwesterner, maybe that's the Grant and Lincoln Midwestern then. Just mm-hmm. they're just down to earth. They're not gonna try to play politics. This has gotta get done. This is how I'm gonna do it. Lincoln believed in him, especially after Vicksburg, I think, and put all the put all his marbles in that basket and it paid off. Yeah. I don't really know if that's a saying, but um, we'll go with it. It them.
1: is now. It's a saying now.
0: The marbles in a basket. Yep. I believe that became big in the Civil War. Yep. <laughs> when they were in camp for leisure time. That's not true at all.
1: <laughs> Nick is making up history. Fake news. <laughs> um, but so March 8th, 1864, Grant and Lincoln meet for the first time. And so the other thing that I noticed was like, I realized like, Lincoln had met McClellan, he'd met Burnside, he'd met Hooker, he'd met Meade. But here he's never met Grant and he's given him the like command lieutenant general over like all the armies. And I I think that's really like again goes back to showing how much he trusted Grant um and just that they're on the same way as how they're thinking that the war needs to go now. And so there was a welcoming committee that had been arranged for Grant, um, but the arrangements fell through. And so he arrived in Washington and, like, no one was there to greet him. So he and his son, Fred, went to the Willard Hotel. Grant is in this travel stained duster, which, um, Nick, as you said, like, last week, like, you wouldn't recognize him as a general because he didn't dress like one. He's not.
0: The clerk didn't even recognize him or the oh. receptionist at the hotel. And then once he handed over his paperwork, he realized it was Grant and changed his room for him.
1: <laughs> yep, Yeah, he had so. Grant staying at the top floor, which at that time was not a luxury because you had to yeah. lug all your shit upstairs. Um, and then Grant goes to dinner, and by that point, you know, the rumor mill around Washington's going on, and he gets recognized, and someone rose from a table and stayed at three cheers for General Grant. So, of course, Grant's got to, like, stand up, bow, and sit back down. And he left to a standing ovation. And then he goes to meet Lincoln at the White House. And uh, Grant said in his memoirs, like, I knew him well and favorably from accounts given by officers under me. So Grant already, I think, has a pretty good opinion of Lincoln. And so Grant gets there and Lincoln says, why, here is General Grant. Well, this is a great pleasure, I assure you. So he meets Lincoln, he meets Mary Lincoln as well, and uh, one reporter said, like, Grant blushed like a schoolgirl. Um, I don't know, like, Nick, do you think Grant was a bit of an introvert?
0: Yeah, I do. Yeah. Based on, it's kind of based on his autobiography, he doesn't really give you much Mm-mm. as far as his emotions on stuff. It was very... Battle, like it's great if you're looking at the wars and how he attacked each battle, but like as far as like what motivated him or what drove him from an emotional standpoint, you don't really get that out of that um, yeah, so I think he was kind of an introvert um I don't think anybody probably really knew him that well outside of Julia mm-hmm. um and maybe Sherman, yeah, I don't even think Sherman maybe knew him that well to be honest. Um, I think he was a guy who was easy to get along with, but I think it was hard to have a close, intimate relationship with Grant.
1: Yeah. I, I would agree with that like this. And then, you know, I can't, I mean, I'm somebody who I'm introverted and like when I'm in social situations, I'm not, I'm not good until I'm comfortable and get to know people a little bit, but I can't imagine being Grant and having Seward come over to me and be like, here, stand on this couch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he didn't seem like a guy for all that pompous and circumstance stuff. You know what I mean? He was just kind of a down-to-earth guy and didn't care for all that bullshit. At least, that's what I like. I don't know what to buy. Bi- You've read more biographies on Grant than I have. I don't know if he became close with anybody in his cabinet down the road. Um,
1: um I think he was. like He and Sherman were very, very close. They were close. Okay. Like, they, were, like, they were best friends up until Grant was president and then Grant did something to Sherman, like not with malice or anything like that, but just doing somebody else a favor that really hurt Sherman. And their relationship was not the same after that, but the two of them had like the utmost respect and trust for each other. And I think he, and I think he was fairly close. And I don't, I think him and like Grant and Rollins were close too. Like they knew each other fairly well, but I think, You know, between Julia Sherman and Rollins, that was about it for who got into that kind of inner circle with with Grant.
0: He seems like a guy, like to do a modern day analogy, like it's a Sunday, you're good enough, hey, I'm going to come over for the Bears game, you go over there, you share a couple beers, you kind of talk football, house stuff, but you never really get into like, you know, maybe real political, philosophical issues or like... You know, stuff like that, just on the surface stuff. Yep, That's how I view it as. Yeah, that's how I see him, too. Yeah.
1: But if he's with somebody like, you know, Julia, Sherman, or Rollins, he's probably a little bit more, like, open to talking about certain things. And, you know, just because there's that level of trust there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the way one reporter described what was happening said it was the only real mob i ever saw in the white house people were caught up and whirled in the torrent which swept through the great east room for once at least the president of the united states was not the chief figure of the picture the little scared looking man who stood on the crimson colored sofa was the idol of the hour i'm sure grant was mortified <laughs> and just wanted to get on with with business right like
0: yeah well, i think the cool part about all that is grant didn't want the spotlight And I'm sure Lincoln did not mind him having the spotlight. Yes. Which I think shows why they work so well together. Mm -hmm. Because Lincoln was not, at least I don't believe Lincoln was somebody to get jealous. No. When somebody of grand stature came into a situation and kind of hogged that. I wouldn't even say hogged that, but got that spotlight. Because I think Lincoln understood that. Yep. All right. So we are, he's now in command.
1: Yep. And, now
0: he's out east.
1: Yep. So he decided to move out east. And that's, again, like I mentioned in the last episode, that does not mean Meade was fired. Meade kept his command of the Army of the Potomac. Sherman moves up into what Grant's command was. So he's commanding forces in the west. And we all know what he goes and does. Um, so.
0: And me. And real quick. Yeah. Grant spends a lot of time in autobiography giving Meade his recognition,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, especially towards the end, the second half of the autobiography, just really saying how much he thought of Meade and how great of a soldier he was. I mean, outside of Sherman, he probably gets the most recognition from Grant in his autobiography. So, yeah, he definitely did not think um, less of Meade at all.
1: No, no. And and rightly so. Like, he was right there with Meade through, you know, uh, Grant is with them for the Overland Campaign in the Siege of Petersburg. So you have the Wilderness in 1864, which is a three-day battle. There's many Union casualties. Grant takes the fault for that. Like, it's Grant who um, ends up, I think it's after Cold Harbor, he gets called Grant the Butcher. Mm-hmm. So even though Meade is the one that is commanding the, the, Army, the Army of the Potomac, grant is taking the blame for it um and it's at cold harbor where warfare begins to change a little bit and i'm sure you saw this too nick they're into trench warfare now
0: yeah that's something a lot of people don't realize is the civil war the advantage laid on the defensive with the new changes in technology and it just took them forever to realize that and to start changing their tactics you saw some of it in like Corinth after yep. or Corinth or whatever they call it down south. Um after Shiloh. But yeah, Lee realizes he's running out. I still think if the Confederacy just played a defensive strategy from the get go, and they I mean they probably could have maybe have held out to the point where the North just gave up. Um But yeah, it basically comes in this. It becomes a game of Grant trying to outmaneuver Lee to get to Richmond, to get between Lee and Richmond, Mm -hmm. um, and really cause a problem. And and that's what it becomes. And every move Grant makes is revolved around that idea. Keep trying to push that one flank, um, to get between them and Lee's adjusting there. Yeah. And yeah, to the point where you get to Petersburg and that's basically, that's basically world war one right there.
1: Yep. It's, it's a siege. Um, Petersburg is June 9th until March, June ninth, 1864 until March 25th, 1865. And that's where the battle, the crater happened on July 30th, 1864. And that was a horrific thing that happened. Um, you can still visit that battlefield and see what's left of that crater. And you can see <laughs> the trenches and all that. And I've seen, f- I have not been there yet, but, you know, it, it does remind me of the trenches, you know, from World War One that, you know, you can see that beginning there mm-hmm. with well, it.
0: Well, heck, you could even see some of the trenches still in Fredericksburg that were being dug. So, yeah, I think a lot of people just don't realize that trench warfare really kind of started in civil war. Mm-hmm.
1: No, and it's, um, so it's at, during the siege of Petersburg that Lincoln actually visits Grant. Mm. Um, At CD at City Point and he's there for 16 days. Um, There's a really excellent book about it. I've mentioned it a few times on the show called 16 days written by Noah Andre Trudeau, who's a wonderful author. And he details every single day, each chapter is a different day, and he breaks it down and it's a wonderful account. Um, so Grant writes to Lincoln on March 20th 1865 and says can you not visit city point for a day or two i would like very much to see you and i think the rest would i think the rest would do you good. Lincoln responds your kind invitation is received had already thought of going immediately after the next rain will go sooner if any reason for it. Mrs L and a few others will probably accompany me. We'll notify you of the exact time. So he's going to go visit Grant basically at the front of the war. And uh, Trudeau, in the book that I just mentioned, said that Lincoln accepted this invitation for a number of different reasons. Um, Basically, to make sure that he and Grant were on the same page regarding the end of the war, um, to honor the soldiers and sailors for their service and sacrifice, and also to clear his mind. Because he's been like Lincoln, I can't imagine the pressure he's been under. And he probably just wants to get away from DC and just You know, even though he's at the front of the war, he can just get away from the everyday and do something different.
0: Yeah, and I think he knows he doesn't have to deal with some... I don't think he would have done this if it was McClellan, because he wouldn't Mm. have wanted to deal with his bullshit. Um, Oh my God. I think he realizes he goes down there, Grant's going to continue doing what Grant does, and I won't have to deal with their nonsense.
1: Yeah, and he and Grant don't spend as much time together, I think, as people would have thought. Um, you know, Lincoln's kind of doing his own thing. Um, so Lincoln's there when Petersburg and Richmond fall. Um, as we know, Lincoln actually goes and walks through Richmond. Um, and actually Grant's horse Cincinnati makes another appearance here. Um, Grant stated that Lincoln was a fine horseman and rode my horse Cincinnati every day that he was in city point. So anytime that he and Grant were together, Lincoln was on Grant's horse and Grant didn't really let anybody else ride that horse and the one scene from the movie Lincoln which I'm sure all of our listeners have seen um, where Lincoln is riding through and looking at the soldiers after the I think it's the siege of Petersburg Um, he is uh, on on Grant's horse Cincinnati in that scene and that's actually one of my my favorite scenes from that movie. It's very, very powerful and moving to see him right there at the front.
0: This is also the famous picture comes out of this, right? With him and Grant. Yep. Chilling. Kind of seated across from each other. Yeah. I don't know. But side to side. But there's some space in there. Yeah. Um, And then also, I think this is where the Confederates come up, right? Mm-hmm. Stevens. Yeah. Grant also likes Stevens.
1: Yeah, Lincoln.
0: Lincoln also had like Stevens. It what is it Alexander Stevens, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, because yeah, in the movie Lincoln looks at him and says like, "The war's over, Alex," or something like that.
0: Yeah, and there's or, a great quote in there. He's like wearing a super oversized quote. Yeah. Uh, quote. I forget what the quote is though, and, but Grant puts it in his memoirs, where like Lincoln said something like, "Oh, like half the man came out of the shell," something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Um, But it was pretty funny. Yeah, because... yeah, they both thought highly of him. I don't... I know.
1: There was a discussion about that on Twitter a few weeks ago between um, Lincoln Belongs the Ages, Dr. Stacey, and myself about... it. like, why Lincoln?
0: (laughs) Yeah, Grant's right there, though, too. I don't know if you've gotten that part in the memoirs, but... Not
1: not yet, but yeah, that's... um, yeah, it's really, I don't know what kind of their mindset was back then. I guess it's different for us looking at it today from a different perspective. But, yeah. you know, it's like, oh. Um,
0: and a guy who plays him in Lincoln, too, plays like a good weasel.
1: Oh, yeah. Guy
0: too. So maybe that's, but yeah. Well, and he said a lot of terrible things. So, yeah, he. I don't understand why he was well liked.
1: Neither, I, I don't either um, at all. Um, So the other thing that happens is what I mentioned at the beginning of the episode is um, on uh, March 28th, 1865, four gentlemen meet on the River Queen. And that's Lincoln, Grant, Sherman, and Porter. And there's a famous painting by Healy, which um, I actually have a t-shirt with that on it, which I wore today. I posted a photo of it. I usually wear it on the anniversary of it. So there's no transcript of what was said in this meeting, but apparently Grant spoke first, updating Lincoln as to what the troops' movements were. And then Sherman told Lincoln what was going on in North Carolina. Although if you look at the painting, Sherman looks like he's dominating the conversation. And I did a little bit of research about the painting, and the one person the artist interviewed for it was Sherman. So, okay. I found that interesting, like, to know, like, Sherman's body language in the painting is one that he seems to be dominating the the conversation. And so, Porter, right after the meeting, apparently took some notes down, but he stated that Lincoln said that his views as to what he desired to happen when the war ended were to treat them liberally. We want these people to return to their allegiance and submit to the laws. Therefore, I say, give them the most liberal and honor- honorable terms, which is what we saw in that the scene from the lincoln movie with grant and lincoln where lincoln said to grant you know i just kind of want to turn away and hope you know i'm paraphrasing but turn away and hope jeff davis runs to england you know
0: mhm
1: and then lincoln doesn't have to deal with it and he can get back to piecing the country back together
0: yeah grant grant also i think was along the same lines as lincoln yeah um and you know when lincoln passes i think grant definitely viewed that reconstruction would have been handled a lot differently a lot more effectively than what it was and that's one of the biggest losses of lincoln um losing him so early was that we didn't have his leadership to mm-hmm. go through reconstruction like probably what was needed yeah according this is according to grant yeah i don't know if i necessarily believe that but that's according to grant
1: Yeah, and Lincoln, so Lincoln stays at city point, um, but he ends up having to go back to Washington because uh, Seward gets injured in a carriage accident, and he wants to go check on him. So
0: when he's down there, Mary Lincoln comes down, right? Yes. So Mary's down there.
1: Yeah. She loses
0: her mind. Gets totally jealous. Now, was Julia there when this happened?
1: Yes, and Julia was at, like, Julia was at the brunt of what Mary was doing. Like when they arrived at city point on, I think it was March 25th, like there was like pleasantries exchanged. And then Lincoln basically said to them, okay, ladies, you talk because we don't want to be interrupted. And he went off with Grant to talk to Grant. Julia sat next to Mary Lincoln and Mary kind of gave her a look like, what are you doing? (laughs) And Julia just said, it got awkward after that. Like, And there was the incident with uh, General Ord's wife. Mm -hmm. So General Ord's wife was on a horse and she's like riding up with Lincoln and Julia and Mary are in the carriage. And Mary was kind of like, what's going on? And Julia said, no, it's okay. It's fine. Like, don't worry about it. And somehow Mary got wind that General Ord's wife is up riding with Lincoln. And she turned to Julia and she's like, don't, you know, I don't let my husband like ride with like any other men. And this is like, it's, Who knows if this is actually true, what's been saying, like like what she said. But apparently Mary was suffering from a migraine that day, which somebody like I suffer from migraines. And like when you have one, anything would like tick you off. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she had this apparently, you know, called Lincoln out when she got out of the carriage and she just had this big scene. And it really embarrassed Lincoln. And that night at dinner, like Mary didn't show up and Lincoln just said she was in her room. Not feeling well. So,
0: obviously, then I believe Julia, I think it's kind of known that she didn't think too highly of Mary because of this. Mm -mm. So, back the night of the assassination now, if they got along better, does Grant and Julia go with the Lincolns to Ford's Theater? Ah, that's a big what if I'm playing here.
1: Yeah, that's... (laughs) Yeah, if they had gotten along they might have gone but Julia used the excuse no Grant we got to go see the kids in New Jersey.
0: That sounds like such a I don't want to hang out with them. I have an easy out because I always thought that too. Yeah. And I was like, dang, if Mary didn't lose it at City Point, maybe Grant maybe Grant doesn't even become president.
1: I yeah, you know? it, it's yeah, that's one of the huge what ifs of history, but you know, like I kind of put myself in Julia's shoes and I mean like I love and respect Mary Lincoln, but if I had been Julia and treated that way the first time I'd met somebody, like, and she even went to tell Julia, like, Julia was like, I'm quite happy with my position in life. And Mary was like, oh, you should come try living at the executive mansion or something like that. Like just really, I don't know, like what her, what, like what Mary's problem was that time. But, you know, if I'd been Julia, I would have been like, yeah, I, I don't know if I want to go to the theater and subject myself to that again. Cause I don't know what I'm going to get from her, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Sorry, I got us off sidetrack. No, also, I could it. just say, what if? Yes. For a crazy, super hypothetical situation.
1: No, right. there there is a show called Timeless, and uh, Jer A. made me watch the episode with the Lincoln assassination, and Grant and Julia end up going to the theater with them, I think.
0: And then Grant kills. Maybe what would have happened, Grant would have kicked John will turn around and boost ass. Yeah. And then Reconstruction goes perfectly. Lincoln gets eight years, followed by Grant's eight years. Yeah.
1: And then Trump has never elected president.
0: Yeah. Trump never (laughs) elected president. I have a million dollars. We're sponsored by the History Channel with the Rails Twitter podcast.
1: You guys have annexed Canada and we're actually part of the U.S.
0: We're United States of Canada. Yeah. And then. Maybe then the Irish Winter rebellion into Canada. Um, <laughs> all right, we've gone off the rails here.
1: Oh, it's okay. Um,
0: uh, I, I don't know where we're at. I think we're at close to the end of the war in the east.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, the surrender at Appomattox ha- happens on April 9th, 1865. But two days before that, Lincoln telegrams Grant and says... General Sheridan says, if the thing is pressed, I think that Lee will surrender. Let the thing be pressed. And that's basically like Lincoln, you know, kind of being like, get it done, Grant. It needs to happen now, and it will happen. And two days later, Lee surrenders at Appomattox Courthouse.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just the letters back and forth between them. Mm
1: -hmm. It's
0: just kind of remarkable. Grant goes in all looking like all dusty and dirty, and Lee's in there, six feet tall, Yeah, handsome as hell, got the nice display sword, got the nice, like the complete opposites, yep. basically. And then Grant talks about going in there very humbled, like, is Lee, he doesn't think Lee even remembers him for the Mexican-American War because he's no. older than him. Yeah. So And then Lee held a much higher job, you know, he was on uh, Winfield Scott's staff. So Grant, of course, recognized him, but Lee does recognize him. And they actually spend some time, about like a half hour or so, just like chit-chatting about the war. Then it's like Lee who gets to the the matter at hand um, that takes place. So I yeah. just kind of found that kind of funny.
1: Yeah, Lee kind of has to be like, Grant, we're not here to just chit-chat. We need to get on with it. And um, Grant and his thoughts at the assassination, like he said that, It would be impossible for me to describe the feeling that overcame me at the news of these assassinations, more especially the assassination of the president. Um, I knew his goodness of, of his heart, his generosity, his yielding disposition, his desire to have everybody happy. And above all, his desire to see all the people of the United States enter again upon the full privileges of citizenship with equality among all.
0: Yeah, just showing the utmost respect he had for Lincoln. Yeah. Um, and he says it several times over, too, um, at different points. But, yeah, too bad. Too yeah. bad.
1: Yeah, Grant said that, I believe the South would have been saved from very much of the hardness of the feeling that was engendered by Mr. Johnson's course towards them during the first few months of his administration. Be that as it may, Mr. Lincoln's assassination was particularly unfortunate for the entire nation.
0: Sad ending.
1: Mm-hmm. But their relationship was one of, like, I think, you know, trust, friendship, mutual understanding. And when Grant was made lieutenant general, that was what got the war done.
0: Yeah. I, I, it's kind of, keep going with sports analogies. It's kind of like two guys who are on the same sports team and off season, they go their separate way. They're not like texting each other every day. They were not best friends, um, but they just had mutual respect and they knew what their partnership meant overall to the union um, and to winning the civil war. And I think that bond would have forever connected them. Yeah. And I think they could always just pick up. I kind of view them as guys that no matter where they were bumped into each other, they could just pick up in conversation Um, No matter how long it had been since they'd seen each other. Um, That's kind of how I feel they got along with each other. Um, And and I kind of like that aspect to it.
1: Yeah, no, I do too. I think they were very close. It didn't matter how long they had been separated. You know, just one of those, hey, how's it going? Friendships and like not just Lincoln and Grant, but Lincoln, Grant, Sherman had this understanding of how it needed to go and what needed to be done.
0: Yeah, I think all three of them, and you could probably throw Sheridan in there yep. too. Um they realized what it what it was gonna to take to win the war. Yeah, they did. And they were all willing to carry that burden of doing it. Because it was not easy. You know, no. when you talk about going through taking away the complete will of somebody else to continue that fight. I mean yeah. that that's tough to do. Um and they were able to do it. And kind of Grant going to bat for Sheridan too. I mean, he wanted him in charge, and they rejected it at first because of his age. Um, they felt he was too young. Mm-hmm. Um, people at the administration. So, just kind of showing how Grant stuck with going to bat for his guys. Yeah. And yeah, he was just. I think the general's general. I kind of feel like the ultimate military type guy.
1: Yep. No, he he was for sure, and. Like, I mean, he just, like, he was who they needed at the time, and Lincoln recognized that.
0: I think Grant recognized it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he was that egotistical. I I don't
1: think he was. I think it was just, like, he was, he was not the type of person, like, he said, you know, back around, like, when he was talking about Vicksburg, he had that huge spiel about, like, I'm superstitious, and I don't believe in applying for anything or asking for it or being appointed You know, and I think he felt by that point, you know, when he was given the lieutenant generalship, it's not like he wasn't asking for it. And I don't think he felt like he was appointed it for political reasons. It was just, you know, another step forward for him to end the war.
0: Yeah. And then, too, like, you know, you read a lot about Lincoln and Lincoln always felt like he was destined to do something big. Yeah. And and I don't know if this comes across in other biographies, but I feel like Grant never had that vision about himself. No, um, he was just a guy who was put in a circumstance, and he, you know, he rose up to the call and, and he got the job done, which really is a definition of a hero. Yep. Um, so I agree. Grant is a badass, and yep. he would probably be the number one overall seed if I was doing a general bracket. He'd be the heads-on favorite to win it all.
1: Yeah, I think Sherman would be for me. <laughs> I'm biased.
0: I'd probably give Sherman a one seed. Lee a one seed and then Stonewall Jackson. That'd be my four one seeds.
1: Yeah, I'd have Claiborne in there. Claiborne's a little bit better than Jackson.
0: But you got to go based on the overall... <laughs> Based on their overall recognition by most people right now. Yes. So I'm not disagreeing with you. No. So a Claiborne could upset a Jackson. Oh,
1: you know, he could. Around. Yeah. If people knew more about Claiborne, he, well, like. Claiborne's
0: only going to get, like, a four or a five seed. I know. If even that. So.
1: I know, because nobody knows anything about Claiborne.
0: Like, what would you rate McClellan? You'd have to get, like, like, a four seed,
1: wouldn't you? Or higher? Does he have to be in there?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Dude, here's a story to get a, I wanted to pick Buffalo in my bracket because I thought they were going to win, but then I'm like, I can't pick Buffalo because of Miller <laughs> Fillmore. So, <laughs> so I didn't do that. So I don't know. I just th- reminded me of that, and I haven't badmouth Fillmore in this episode yet. No,
1: there we go. We got our Fillmore.
0: And then pen. Buffalo got spanked this weekend, like Fillmore did in uh, <laughs> 1856 election.
1: There you go, Real Splitters. Uh, the uh, mention of Fillmore.
0: <laughs> All right. I think it's to our two weekly segments. It is. Yes. All right. For the people, by the people. What'd you got?
1: Uh, what do you have? No, actually, I've got something from Ben Holmes. Go ahead. Uh, he posted on our Facebook uh, group earlier today. That's a relief. I was running dangerously low on books. And someone on Twitter posts the wondrous site of a completed completed proofs for the three-volume Cambridge History of the American Civil War. And it's got all these little sticky notes in it. And it's like over, I would say, over a foot tall of notes. That's,
0: yeah, I saw that. That's crazy. Yeah, I was like, oh,
1: when is that coming out? So thank uh, you, Ben.
0: All right, we'll just go to my Twitter feed here, see what I liked. It probably won't be Lincoln-related. This is really slowing the show down.
1: No, don't worry about it.
0: This is where an editor comes into play. Yes. Actually, I give you permission, Jerry, to leave this in. Oh, I know <laughs> what I'm going with here. Wilson Contreras, Cubs catcher. Uh, I'd like this tweet. Opening days here. Cool picture of him tossing his hat. Cubs win today. <laughs> I think it was 12 2. Javi Baez, two home runs, four ribbies. Chris Bryant went yard. The Cubs are going to win again. World Series bound. You heard it here first on Rail Splitter Nation.
1: And they will be against the Indians because the Garfield Home in Mentor, Ohio tweeted earlier today executive order from President Garfield. The Indians will be in the World Series.
0: Indians got a very good shot being there. Maybe yeah. probably a better shot than the Cubs.
1: So the rivalry is on Rail Splitters. <laughs> hey,
0: 2016. That's all I got to say.
1: I will come back. So what is our This Week in Lincoln?
0: I thought you had it.
1: I do, actually. It's a little um, Lego minifigure. And it's Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I don't think it's officially called that, but I was in um, actually my old place of work, uh, Fincher's in downtown Goddard, this uh, last Saturday night. And uh, one of my former coworkers, she's really good at telling what is in the uh, minifigure packages. And she found me the Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter one. So it is like a steampunk Lincoln. The guy's got the same beard and he's got an axe and all that. But uh, that's, that's our This Week in Lincoln. And I'll post a photo of it to our Real Splitter page once I get the show posted tomorrow.
0: Pretty awesome. I've seen a picture already. And what which package is it? Like, what's the?
1: If there's like an axe in it. Like it's you know the minifigure packages. Like you can't. They're like blind. Is it just Lego? Yeah, it's just Lego. Okay. Is it Lego? I did min- know
0: like if it was a certain like genre because you know like how there's Harry Potter themed ones and.
1: This is for the latest Lego movie. Okay, they're That's in like a gigantic thing. blue box, and the, I think the packages okay. are blue. But she just can like feel around. <laughs> If she
0: worked at McDonald's, she's that one who steals all the boardwalks. She would so be nobody ever wins.
1: Yeah, she would be. She totally would be.
0: I'm boycotting Finchers and God. <laughs> Thanks. Or Nick. where what is Godfrey? God Godrich. Godrich. <laughs> God-rich. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Godrich. To all our Godrich listeners.
1: <laughs> of which I'm sure there are none.
0: All right. Anything right. else for the cause here? That's it. All right, rail splitters, with malice towards none and charity for all.
1: We will see Peace. you next week.